So, you finally decided to make it. See, I've come back now. You have come back. I it's, have returned. What's going to be funny is that you're going to be missing in part of this show. Yeah, I'm not going to be in the interview portion of the program on account of the fact that through the magic of podcasting and editing, um, I'm going to be at the beginning and the end, but I had nothing to do with the interview because I was with my wife. That's kind of b- biblical. You're the beginning and the end. Yeah, the Alpha, and, like the Omega. Alpha and Omega. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so... Uh, my name's Jay. Who are you? Oh, I'm just Brian. And this is the BNA Podcast. Ain't it, though? So how you doing? Oh, well, I'm much better rested than I was yesterday. Well, that's good. That's yes, good. I understand. Uh, I, I got a... A, a Facebook message in the middle of the night that basically said your wife uh, had to go to the emergency she room. She did, so we got her all taken care of. And and really, I have to say, um, anytime I go to the emergency room, I'm going to choose 1 a.m. at Summit. Oh, okay. 1 a.m. is awesome. It's Was before it? the bars close, so oh, gotcha. there's not a bunch of car accidents, but gotcha. it's after everybody is willing to go to bed if they just have a fever. We got in very smoothly, and, and we're taken very good care of. Well, we're glad. And uh, she had emergency surgery. She did. She's got um, uh, she uh, is, one less organ. Well, that's that's probably a good thing. I've yeah. decided that we all—you remember the day when we had our tonsils out, whether we needed them or not? Yes. We kind of need that with the appendix. Oddly enough, I have my tonsils. I don't. Isn't that weird? I mean, well, I'm 62 and I have my tonsils. I, that like, is weird. I'm in a very small little yeah, group. Yeah, I was going to say, because I'm 62 and uh, my tonsils went at age six. Yeah, absolutely. Out they go. Yeah, you so, have two, two sore throats in the same year and the doctor took your tonsils yeah. out. I kind of wish that my uh, uh, my daughter, they would go ahead and pull her appendix because she has regular GI stuff. Right, and and every probably, time they're yeah. like, oh, well, maybe she's got appendicitis and then she doesn't. Right. So. If they just pull it, then we could make that those trips be, a lot easier. It's all based on insurance coverage. So, it is. Yeah, we'll it's figure a, out a little strange. Well, so, so so today there's going to be a conversation um, with a candidate, the only now the only one that we've interviewed that I haven't met yet. How'd it yeah, go? Uh, it, well, you're going to find out in just a minute. No, I think it went well. Uh, we definitely missed you. Um, uh, you add a, a certain flair, a, a snarkiness, a snarkiness yes. to the conversation. So it's a shorter interview than some of our other ones, but I think that's probably for the best. Nobody's ever going to be upset uh, yeah. that the BNA podcast was a little shorter. Yeah. So we're here. We'll be in just a second. We're going to be talking with Jeff Yar, Senator Jeff Yarbrough, who is uh, running for mayor and um, uh, is the senator of district 20 or 21 i get confused we don't really know yeah, so. uh but anyway it was a we great know interview he's in and a distinct minority exactly in the tennessee state house exactly it's it was a great interview and we hope you enjoy So here we are with uh, Senator Jeff Yarbrough, who is one of the 54 candidates for mayor. We're so glad to have you here, Jeff, and uh, I hope you'll stick with me. My co-host Brian is away because his wife, Nadia, is having appendicitis surgery, Uh, but we're glad to have you here. Well, we wish Brian well, but I'm happy to be here with you, Jeff. So uh, I want to – we always start with – Hearing a little bit of your story about how you ended up in Nashville and and how that has led to your desire to want to run for mayor. So I'm not one of the Nashville natives. I grew up in rural West Tennessee in a town called Dyersburg. But growing up in small town Tennessee, uh, this was the city where I saw my first 
kind of big league baseball game sure. at the Sounds Park and saw plays that at, my mom the, would put us Herschel in church Greer clothes and, and bring yeah. us into town. And then when you're growing up in a small town, uh, this is where if you are in ac- you know academic or sports competitions, this is where you come for the tournaments and those types of things. And so this is really one of the cities where I first developed you know, some ambitions and dreams about what the future could look like. And so it's always had a special place in my heart and started spending more time here during college and law school and then moved here full-time with my wife after we finished law school at the University of Virginia. And my first place, we set up shop in the Gulch for a year and lived on the second story of a five-story loft there. When that five-story building was the tallest building for a half mile, right. you could see the state capitol. You know, there's an adult bookstore across the street, no sidewalks, and so I've really seen this surge of development over time. Uh, so, fe- several years after I had been here, I decided to 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 make a run for the Tennessee State Senate. Right. That was after I started getting involved in volunteering in public education, doing pro bono work as a lawyer. I ended up running for state senate and challenged a 40-year incumbent mm-hmm. who uh, was a beloved man and uh, someone who became dearer and dearer to me over time, sure. Douglas Henry. But I think he had 38 of the 40 Metro Council people endorsed him. Right. <laughs> and, sure. But we still ran a really good race where we talked to voters and, and ended up being declared the winner on election night, but mm-hmm. after a recount losing by 17. Gotcha. And then entered the state Senate in 2014, where I've been serving ever since. Sure. And in that job, I've been f- doing the work of the city, you know, playing defense and defending the state's interest a lot of the time uh, when you know, they're trying to shrink our council or go after our convention center, sports authority. You know, a lot of my work is being on the front lines of that. But I also do have done a lot of work advancing the city's priorities in an unfriendly environment. Sure. So... You know, I, I think I use common sense and have found common ground to do the kind of work on taxing tourists to deal with some of the safety issues downtown or regulate party buses, creating tools that we can use to invest in affordable housing, uh, passing programs to work on pre- on preventing youth homelessness from happening sure. and that kind of work. And so when Mayor Cooper made his announcement that he wasn't going to run I was st- staring down the barrel of a dysfunctional relationship with the state mm-hmm. that threatens us all and a city that's got real issues that are happening at the moment, uh, which I think every one of your listeners understands intuitively that we got some issues that the next mayor is going to have to handle. And I think this is going to be a critical election uh, to make sure that our city gets back in the mode of solving problems. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take real leadership. So several of our the folks that we've already interviewed announced prior to Mayor Cooper's uh, announcement because they felt like there needed to be changes happening. I I know that you kind of waited until after that. Did you feel like the direction he was going in was the right one or or was there something else that really kind of led you to say, okay, it's time for me to get in the race? So the job that Nashville voters have already elected me to do is to work for the city at the state level. And that means that I work with the sitting mayor and council people, whether they're going the right direction or the wrong direction. 
And so I didn't think about running against Mayor Briley four years ago. I didn't think about running against Mayor Cooper this year because I can't really do the job that people sent me there to do if I don't have a trusting relationship with that office. Gotcha. Because I talk to that office three, four times a week gotcha. during session. So it's it's too important to I, I would I don't I didn't think it would be appropriate for the what Nashville had already elected me to do to run against the sitting mayor. But when he made that announcement, I instantaneously felt pulled into the race because of where what the needs of the city are right now, I think are a match for what I bring to to public service and the leadership challenges at the moment are match my skills. Right. So one of the things we saw recently was the, the Vanderbilt study, which says that the majority of folks in Nashville feel like Nashville's moving in the wrong direction. Um, and particularly if you have lived here longer than 20 years, a significant portion of those folks think that Nashville's moving in the wrong direction. What do you think's behind that, and what, do you, what are you proposing to try to turn that perception around? Look, I think that... People are frustrated because they feel like growth is happening to us as opposed to for us. Mm -hmm. It is just getting a little too hard to live in the city. I I mean, I think what makes Nashville unique in this perspective is that a lot of our problems are because of some of our past successes. Right. Like we have – it is a good thing that we have made progress from the 80s when you could fire a cannon down – Broadway at three o'clock on a Friday and not risk hitting anything. Right, like we invested in town in downtown on purpose because we needed that part of our economy to grow. We invested in certain types of economic development that drew on the creative sectors of music and the bedrock of Vanderbilt and state government and our university system to and our, and our healthcare system to really create a vibrant economy and a place that is drawing talent and ideas and creativity from around the country. But like the explosive growth that you've seen in the city Mm -hmm. has not been matched by the growth in the infrastructure, the services and the housing that it takes to keep the city going. Right. You know, I think, and again, the stadium has been on the forefront of our conversation recently. And um, of course you were involved, I'm sure at some level with the state, uh, buy-in in terms of the money related to that. Um, but I wonder, it, it seems to me, Brian and I have said for ever since it was first talked about that we were going to have a stadium, that it was going to happen. It didn't matter what anybody thought. It was going to happen. And there's that sort of perception of what I like to call the unseen hand, the the forces in Nashville that are um, going to ensure this stuff happens regardless of what the people think. And that seems to be the case with the stadium in terms of, you know, the by and large, Nashvillians as a whole are, you know, are less thrilled about this prospect than it seems like everybody else. I mean, how do you begin to deal with those pressures that, it, and it's true for all mayors that I've seen in recent years, those forces that maybe aren't elected, maybe aren't particularly representative of the the neighborhoods outside Bradley Parkway, but seem to be able to continue to push things through regardless of what Nashvillians think about it. Well, I think that the who's going to make the decisions about Nashville's future and who are going to be the beneficiaries of Nashville's future 
is really what this moment is all about. We know that we've got a state legislature that wants to shape this city Mm -hmm. to its liking. Right. And in a way that's inconsistent, frankly, with the values that make this city what it is. Mm -hmm. We know that there are forces that want to use Nashville as an ATM to extract wealth without uh, investment in the community. And I think that that is something that the next mayor has to be crystal clear and have the courage to stand up to that type of nonsense when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that you've got to really uh, – this is a moment where I think you have to rebuild trust with people. I, look, I think the stadium is a kind of – is a complicated question. Right. And because it gets framed in this way of should we is a is the Titan Stadium the the number one priority of the city right now? Absolutely not. Far from it. Right. But we're we weren't really having a conversation about whether we're going to spend public dollars on a stadium. Right. Uh, the no side of this debate was really they thought we should spend different public monies on a different stadium construction project. Right. Right? I mean, so you really were choosing between two different stadium construction projects at the end of the day. And I think that we have to actually talk through how do you make this work? But what I'm frustrated about as a Nashville resident and voter is that we don't seem to talk about anything in between stadium projects. Right. Why aren't we trying to figure out how to – you know, if if we had the late night council meetings and you know hours and upon hours that we spent dealing with a, a you know this big project focused on how are we really thinking about bringing people together to deal with the uh, our our neighbors who are unhoused, right. or if we were dealing with sidewalks and infrastructure, like I think that we would be making more progress. You're, we're a big city. We're going to have big projects. Right. That's the deal. But what you can't – I think most people in Nashville want us to be a city that can walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, I th- and I think, again, the concern was, okay, we're going to spend – it's going to cost $2 billion – you know, only a portion of that goes to Metro Nashville. And that, again, that's when you start getting in the weeds of the thing. But it's kind of like when we're seeing the number of homeless individuals increase after two years of supposed investment in trying to address homelessness at a serious level, when we see things like sidewalks and those kinds of things. And and again, the perception, I mean, you and I first met when I was out in Antioch. And we, right. we remember even back then this perception that Everything that was happening that was good for Nashville is only happening downtown, that it's not happening for those of us out, out in Madison or Antioch or those places, or it's certainly not as visible. Right. And occasionally, you, you know, they'll throw, a, oh, we're going to build you a community center or we're going to do that. But it's in terms of looking at sort of systemic change for these neighborhoods, um, there, there is not a plan or a particular thought about, okay, how do we help these places thrive at the same level that downtown is, th- is thriving? And um, so I think that part of that concern comes from seeing this investment in downtown and hearing mayoral candidates say, no, we're going to invest in neighborhoods, and then it not happening. And it mm. seems like um, – whether, you know, going back to, to Carl and Megan and David and Cooper, all of them will say, oh, no, we're going to spend more effort and energy in neighborhoods. And then the next thing you know, 
it seems like everything's being spent on downtown. To Mayor Cooper's credit, I get, he had a bombing. He had a number right. of different c- uh, catastrophes along the way. So I'm I'm not wanting to to uh, be negative necessarily, but it just seems like that focus on areas of town outside of downtown just disappears pretty quickly along the way. I think that's exactly right. And look, I think people in Nashville are smart enough to understand that you're not going to ignore downtown if you're going to be running a a city like we are. I mean, we've got a lot of businesses that come in, a lot of revenue for the city that does maintain lots of other growth across the county is there. And if you're not paying attention to it, you're probably not doing the job right. Mm -hmm. But you need to see, I mean, we're going to do this East Bank development, right? right? That's going to be remarkably thought through that's thinking about how you're crafting urban neighborhoods, how you're building resilience and building in transit and thinking through culture. Like, where's that plan for Madison? Where's that plan for Bellevue? Where's that plan for Antioch, for Hermitage, for Donaldson? We have a big county, and not all those communities are the same. No. And we shouldn't have a plan for downtown and then a plan for everywhere else. Yeah, And I think that... We have to kind of get out of this not the mindset of downtown versus everywhere else and really start thinking about, look, the plan for our traditional downtown should be different than the plan for our East Bank. Right. The plan for our inner ring community should be different than our plan for Jolton mm-hmm. and Cane Ridge, which have a different kind of community model that they're building around. But the planning and zoning and thought process about how you're trying to strategically increase transportation and and, and park and greenway sidewalk options that fit those particular communities mm-hmm. and that build on the economic assets and cultures of those different communities is mission critical. And if we yeah. don't do it, then I think voters will increasingly be unwilling to support growth downtown or anywhere else. Right, right. Well, and it, and the question is, we've sometimes talked about that we felt like Nashville at times almost had kind of a little chip on its shoulder. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, we've, you know, nobody wants to, we want to be a world-class city. We want to become this. And so we're going to kind of give away the store to some of the corporations that come in to try to entice them to come in. And we've spent a lot of money uh, or given away a lot of money in terms of doing that. Um, And that we're now at a point where those place people want to come here. We don't have to uh, encourage them to come. They want to come here anyway. And so at what point do we begin to change our mindset to say, hey, we are a world-class city or we are whatever we what we want to be. I don't know that world class is what we want to be, but we are a city that has great uh, potential, great work for us, great uh, many things along the way. And so how do we now kind of go, okay, we can put demands on corporations or or on development as it happens. Right. And I, so that to me, Jay, is the essence of what this city has to get right right now. We cannot be in a place where we are sacrificing our quality of life in order to grow. Mm-hmm. I've been to other cities that managed to build whole buildings without having to close sidewalks for three months and close down every road around it. 
I, I believe that Nashville can do that too. We need to be able to impose some counter demands when, on on people who want to build new new initiatives. Right. And I, we don't have to spend money to encourage just the newest hotel, you know, every right. new industry that wants to come into town to do that. What we're not investing in, what we should be thinking about from an incentive standpoint and from a special treatment standpoint is how are you getting childcare right. into communities where people need it? Right. How are you actually doing the, the, the sort of the things that matter for people's lives? Because right now, finding a house you can afford in a neighborhood you love near schools you trust it's like you feel like you've won the lottery. Mm-hmm. And right now when you're driving to school or dropping your kids off, it feels like you're on a daily obstacle course navigating around road closures and dodging potholes. I think we have to have a mayoral administration that is focused like a laser on quality of life right. and making that get better. But don't you think that's going to be a, a little bit of a challenge for whoever gets elected in the sense that, I mean, one of the things that we've been dealing with for the past several years is we've been able to get some ARP funding, some some outside federal funding that's going to dry up here in the next year or two. And so, like, um, <coughs> excuse me, one of the things that um, is on my heart is related to this $50 million that we've spent that's been given for homeless response which is going to be good for about two years, and then that goes away, and we're building infrastructure, but we don't have a funding source beyond those last two years. I mean, how do you think uh, in terms of the challenges of what the mayor is going to face? Because there are some things like that that have been put in place that we've not talked about funding stream, uh, long-term funding stream. Oh, look, there's no question that is a massive challenge for – whomever is the next mayor is going to have to deal with this. And I think that there are still some federal funding streams that we have structurally not been good at at obtaining as a city. Mm -hmm. You look at other cities our size, they have actually found ways to be much more effective at drawing in both federal dollars and philanthropic dollars. Mm -hmm. And what successful cities do is they find ways to do more with less. That doesn't mean that you do less. Right. It means that you, when you're making pu- investments that use public lands, public dollars, that you're trying to leverage those investments so that you're trying to bring in private sector resources, private sector investment, as well as those state and federal funding streams that will actually make you make the, the what the government, the metro property taxpayers' investments go further. But isn't that difficult in a state where the legislature seems to want to turn away federal funding? Oh, there's no question that the state is a significant obstacle and a needed partner for a whole host of things, Mm -hmm. and that is going to be hard work for the next mayor. It's This is not a business-as-usual mayor's election. Like, gone are the days when Carl Dean could... You know, walk yeah. down the street and have lunch with Governor Bill Haslam, and the right. state city relationship was just a okay. You're going to have to much more structurally work uh, both inside the city and across the state to build some coalitions to force uh, the state to to deal with some of some of the issues that are on the state's plate. Right. And look, I have been there for nine years with four mayors, three mm-hmm. gubernatorial administrations. When the coalition in this city 
is actually put together when the political leaders, civic leaders, business leaders are actually come on and are on the same page, we can be an unstoppable force up there. Mm-hmm. But when we are not uh, together, we get picked apart, which is what's happening right now. But I mean, you're on the inside there. You're, you yeah. go into that building on a regular Every basis. Day. And, you know, I've heard from staff members um, just about how different sort of, I'm going to use the word crazy for one of a better word, uh, things are in the legislature at this point. Is it possible? I mean, is it possible to build those coalitions with people who believe that your beliefs are going to upset the republic and that everything's going to hell in a handbasket? Look, no question it is much harder to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we see growing extremism. We see decreasing seriousness. There are still adults in the room, but there are fewer and farther between. Mm -hmm. But anybody who's actually really thinking about the long-term success of the state knows that Nashville has to succeed in order for the state to succeed. This is a fight. like It's like getting in a fight with your spouse and burning down the home that you Mm -hmm. shared. Right. It doesn't actually work for the state, even if it feels good in the moment. And I think it's going to take... One, you're going to have to be willing to stand up to them at times, Mm -hmm. but you can't let the fact that you're going to be having fights stop you from finding ways that you are dealing on working together. And I have found pathways to do just that, right? I mean, in the last – when we were seeing increased costs of taking care of Broadway Mm -hmm. that was falling on us as property taxpayers in Nashville. I worked with a bunch of Republicans who don't like raising taxes to increase taxes that we charged for tourists downtown to pay for those increased safety and cleanliness efforts downtown to regulate those buses that drive everybody crazy. Like there are ways that we can still do that work. I mean, just this year, I, we have a huge problem, and this might sound super technical and weird, but mm-hmm. uh, right now, Metro Nashville has six people that are doing electrical inspections, each of which have about 350 pending inspections to do. Right. And like trying to pull together the state fire marshal and the Republicans and the Metro codes and the engineers and contractors into a room and get a solution done wasn't easy, but that's exactly the kind of work that we did to pass, even in this year where they were attacking us. We did that. We got, you know, big time investments that also still help Nashville. So it's not like nothing good happens. It's just much harder to achieve. Yeah. So when we start thinking about Nashville's government, uh, it seems to me that, you know, you've got this bureaucracy that is big (laughs) and and unwieldy. And so how... How do you think, what kind of skills do you bring to the table in terms of trying to, I mean, you talk about livability and wanting to improve improve livability and services and those kinds of things. Um, But how do you do that with a a, a city government that's pretty difficult to move? I mean, the structures are such that it's uh, sometimes hard to get leadership at the city level to do things. What what do you think you bring to the table? Oh, that's a really fun question. Well, Look, I think that leadership is about identifying the biggest priorities and challenges that we're facing and actually bringing those departments as well as the people that they're working with into into the room, pushing back on all sides so that if we're not on the same page, we're at least in the same chapter. Gotcha. Right? And the most 
uh, you know, there's a lot of people that you got to lead as mayor that don't work for you. And but but that means that you got to listen to them, give them a seat at the table and a voice that's not just surface level, but that is heard and respected Mm -hmm. so that when you're choosing a pathway to go on housing or homelessness, that you've actually got the buy in of the community that's been doing the work all along. Right. Right. And I think I think that that is the thing that is most essential for a mayor to actually make the progress that you need. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have to be committed to, there are always stupid things that slow down government. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I, one of the reasons that I have grown frustrated at, at legislating at times is oftentimes the problems I'm trying to solve are how do you make government work better? How do we get better at build at, procuring technology contracts? How do you get better at uh, having departments break down their silos and work together on problems? And that's the kind of, you got to be a decision maker who zeroes in on the choke points that stop progress in your city and go after them. Sure. Sure. So almost all the candidates, but, and we've got some great candidates in this race, and we've got a lot of them, but we've got some great ones. Seen um, more, more every day. But it seems like almost all of them are tending to focus on affordability, housing affordability, homelessness, uh, transit. Those kinds of those are kind of as the major issues. What do you see as other major issues for our city, or how, from your own standpoint? You know, I know uh, every mayor that I can think of recently said, "Well, this is going to be my priority." list. What, what's your priority list? Uh, so let me answer that in two ways, because I, okay. uh, I think there are things that matter to the long-term health of the city that are absolutely essential. So for me, uh, let's be clear, the most important thing that Metro government does in my life is educate my two kids. Right. And if you have a mayor that's not committed to being a uh, uh, a funder, a strategist, an accountability keeper, and a, a booster that's going to actually genuinely help your public education system, well, then I think you got a real problem. So I think public education deeply matters. When public safety falls apart, if people, I mean, we thought about this during Covenant recently. Mm-hmm. Every parent felt the how fragile their life can be in the weeks after that. And when violence erupts anywhere in our community, it not just lowers our quality of life. I mean, there's actually evidence that when, uh, you know, homicides happen on a street, the test scores go down. Mm -hmm. Like you got to, so you got to make sure that you're doing public safety, right? Right. But I think the things that are most urgently needed right now, and Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between what are the long-term things that cities have to get right Right. and where the urgency issues are. I think the urgency is around transportation and infrastructure and affordability. Gotcha. Gotcha. What do you, what, do you have one that you lift up um, more importantly? Well, I mean, that, that kind of moves your heart. So I really do think that it is – I'm not choosing this because it's a crab bag, but it is yeah. how do you make quality of life and livability front and center in everything that metro government does? Right. How, when you're building buildings, are you making sure that you're doing that? When you're making your life, your economic incentive decisions, how are you making sure that someone's ability to get child care – and it is is a is a reality in their world. How do and 
and orienting the the government around that. And there's not like a single policy solution. There's no right. silver bullet, you know, municipal ordinance that you pass for that. But instead, it is shifting the way that you do the day by day provision of services and the block by block investment in the sidewalks, schools, parks, and greenways where people really live their lives. Right. How, in terms of that, because so again, being in Madison where I'm at, there's been a lot of talk about, well, we're going to do this development and we're going to, you know, and what we've seen in the Gallatin Road corridor has been gentrification. And so you see a lot of folks at the lower end of the spectrum that are being pushed out, uh, being not included in the conversation. I mean, how do you propose the mayoral administration is able to represent the broad, the breadth of economic, racial, ethnic diversity that we have in this city. So yeah, I didn't say it was going to be an easy question. No, it's not. <laughs> and I, I mean, I love the question because I yeah. don't think that I don't think that we're getting that right. Right. Uh, and when you don't get it right, what happens is maybe you have a program to create some affordable housing, but you're other developments are creating greater need for affordable housing that's outpacing the what the units that you're putting online. Right. And so that's why I say you've got to be thinking about some of these key priorities all the time, not just in your affordable housing program. Right. Like the way that you're thinking about planning and developing and transportation infrastructure has to have affordability top of mind. Gotcha. It's not really a, you know, if you have a discrete policy for each one of these things, they don't necessarily work together. Well, and but the, the way that yeah. you that you the way that you make sure that you're doing that better is you got to make sure that you're actually bringing the voices that matter and the across the community into the room. Yeah. If you're not talking to people from Madison and Antioch when you're making the decisions about the priorities for Madison and Antioch, you're going to fail. When you're not including uh, people who are renters and, you know, the people who are working and trying to provide services to our unhoused population, like if you're not actually bringing those people in before you come up with a solution to their problem, right. you're going to fail. Right. And Nashville, I mean, look, we have always been a city that has aspired here, mm-hmm. right? When every other city in the South was doubling down on segregation in the 60s, like we are a right. city that followed Diane Nash and John Lewis trying to go down a different path. And even when we don't live up to that promise, that is the aspiration we have to a city. But the mayor has to make sure that that is more and more of a reality, that we are actually including people in the conversations that dictate where the future is going to go. Right. So, um, so what do you want to tell people, the people of Nashville? What, what if you, this is your time to kind of share whatever it is you want to what? What do you think we need to know about you and why uh, you should be mayor? Well, I am fundamentally optimistic about this city mm-hmm. because I know it. I have represented at this point, you know, the way district lines change more than half the city for mm-hmm. the last nine years. And there's talk all the time about how we're losing the soul of the city, Mm -hmm. and I don't buy that. When you go out into neighborhoods and into communities, you will be constantly surprised by how people are coming together, how they're 
finding new ideas, how they're solving problems in interesting ways. And almost always it's consistent with the set of values that Nashville has. I'm less concerned with the scope and severity of the problems we're facing right now Mm -hmm. than the growing sense that we're not up to solving them Mm -hmm. because that's not the Nashville I recognize. Sure. Sure. And I think that we absolutely can overcome some of the dysfunctionality that we see in national politics and state politics and do what Nashville does, which is bring people together focus in on a problem, look it dead in the eye, and actually start solving these things. And that's what the city that I know and love is. I think that's the city that people miss. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the leadership that people want to see. Okay. So uh, if folks want to know more about you, where do they need to go? They go to jeffyarbro.com. They can call me on my cell at 615-496-9851 which has been available to most people in Nashville for about a decade. So, and I occasionally learn that. So I, and I love it when people call. So, um, or they can uh, tune in or come to any one of our events. We're trying to get everywhere we can. I feel confident that if we could talk to every voter between now and election day, one-on-one or in small groups, we could win. And I'm trying to be in front of as many people as I can. Good. Well, Jeff, thanks for being here with us. And Thank you. Uh, appreciate your time and look forward to seeing how things work out. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, Jay. So it was a good conversation. Like I said, we nice. missed you, but I think it turned out okay. I'm glad I got to listen to it. The Yeah, it would have been fun to be here. It's, um, we're just proving now that we're not doing this alphabetically, by the way. Oh, so, that's exactly right. Yeah. We actually have kind of done it on the date that folks have announced, with right. the, with one exception. Uh, there's a gentleman we haven't got scheduled yet who announced before uh, Mayor Cooper announced. But, right. I, you know, it's kind of in that that thing. We'll get I, as many as we can. I, I, when yeah. Back when it was like six people, right. this felt like a very easy project to undertake. Yeah. Like, we'll just interview the mayoral candidates like we did with the DA, and it'll, right. be, it'll be great for our listeners. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit tougher now. Um, I doubt we will get to all of them. But I don't we, think so. But what we are trying to do is to look at the folks who are are polling higher, who have a, a more likely chance of winning. We could use that. That could be kind of the thing. Like, hey, if you haven't been invited to the BNA podcast yet and you're running for mayor, yeah, might want to poll higher. Exactly. That's what. We'll, so, that's, 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 that's so, going to be my subtle pitch. So we'll see. I mean, there is one who was very, very late in announcing who's has good citywide name recognition. So she's probably polling a little bit higher. And we're going to see what we can do to get her on the podcast. But um, – you know, we're glad to have anybody that will uh, come. I will say I was excited to see that we actually had a candidate reach out to us, us yeah, yeah. and ask to be on the podcast. It's a really good sign. That, it, you know, that, that facts, folks even know we exist. Yeah, is, it is always amazing. feels a little better, that kind of recognition. Yeah. Yeah, we have only had – the only other time anyone has asked to be on our podcast yeah. uh, was like a neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, that's that happens. He'd probably be happy to be on the podcast again. Sure. Yeah, he's, we'll need it once we get through this, we're going to He's you know, the treasurer for a council person, but then we have he to is. invite the other Then you got to get the council candidates and uh, yeah. quite honestly, there's just not enough hours in the day. There aren't because we have lives. We for do. some strange I was, reason. I was um I might go to one of the mayoral debates. Yeah, I haven't gone to any of those yet either. No, I might I'm, go to one. I think they're having one in June at yeah. Belmont. 
there, there's going to be one, I think, that's going to be down at the public library I'm going to go to as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes down. Again, folks, this election yeah. is in August. Yeah, it okay? is right around the corner. That's August of Early voting starts in like seven weeks. Yeah, it's, it's just a few days. It's under 100 days that right. um, this election is happening. So it's time to take this seriously. I know that... Um, it's easy to kind of push it off to the side or feel like it's not worthwhile, but this is a really important election yeah. about the direction of the city. And, and it's not something that I, I know there are a lot of people in the city because I have many times worked at the polls, which is one of my great old guy retired things to do. I love doing this. Yeah, you do that. So I well. work at the polls and I'm really good at it. <clears throat> I'm the only person there that uh, seems to be friendly to people when they come in yeah everybody gets real serious i thought about applying but i feel like the our precinct is already filled full of folks i just move you but it's uh uh, but it was like it's been a really good experience but what happens is people come to vote Mm -hmm. in nashville during the general elections Mm -hmm. and they show up without knowing who's running gotcha and they just go in and they pick the one that either has an r or a d unless they have a personal friend on the ballot right right so you can't do that in the mayor's race. No, there are no R's no and R's D's. No and no D's. We might know who is an R or a D. Just remember that. Not very many R's. There's maybe one or two R's. Yeah, maybe two maybe, R's. Maybe two R's. And we're not going to tell you who they are. You oh. have to figure that out on your own. But um, all of that's to say, yeah, it's it, it's, in, it's important to be informed about um, who these folks are because the, the reality is, is, I mean, if you look at their websites, they're all going to sound the same. They're all talking about the same issues. The the issues are the issues. The question comes to kind of the character and the approach to addressing those issues. And when you hear somebody talk, one of the things that we have learned so much about in the last few weeks, when you hear someone talk about the issues, giving them just an open microphone to say what they would like to do, right, Mm -hmm. then they talk about the issues that matter to them. Right. And this will help you decide if the issues that matter to you are coming to the top of their list or not mm-hmm. because we always have that moment in the podcast where it's like hey what do you want to talk about what is the thing you want to say and uh, i think we have learned a tremendous amount about Absolutely. the uh, just from them you know and it's not if you looked on their website like you said all of them have the same stuff on mm-hmm. there yeah that's that's right um well i think we're gonna see how this goes we, we next time i think we're gonna have um heidi campbell with us and we'll yep. talk with her a little bit um, and thanks, Jeff, again, for being on the podcast. Uh, in terms of restaurants, I know you haven't been anywhere. I really no, haven't been anywhere. Just Miguel's Donuts. I just, I just <laughs> did discover that down in the little shopping center down the street from the church is a new Salvadoran place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I need to go check out their pupusas. Uh, yeah, you, you know, do. We, we have our favorite yep. uh, out towards Rivergate, but River I think Gate. we need to go see how this is. Uh, but other than I that, I don't. Oh, I do. I love pupusas. They're just such a good food. They are great, and they fill you up. If you haven't had pupusas, exactly, go find pupusas and wherever to. you are. Right? Do you like them with chorizo or? I do really like the chorizo from the one yeah, in Rivergate. And the one in Rivergate. That's La what I Puglisaria usually say. Like. or something like that. Yeah, I can never say it. No, La Pulgarcito. Pulgarcito. I'll go with yeah. that. But this one and is I speak like, reasonably good Spanish, but I have yeah, no idea what that means. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, so uh, we do encourage you to go out and check out the ethnic opportunities throughout Nashville. Absolutely. And uh, look forward to seeing you again. Hopefully, well, we won't see you. We look we'll forward to we'll talking you. to you yeah. again. Well, we look forward to you hearing us again next week. Exactly. Y'all take care. <laughs> Thanks.